Basically, what we try to do is we try to commercialize projects. And the reason why we do it is because commercializing open source is the most sustainable way to do this business long term. And that maintenance takes the soul out of you. <laughs> People who maintain open source projects know that the burnout in the open source industry is very much real. And commercializing it is basically one of the ways to battle that burnout. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Victoria Melnikova. How you doing? Hi, it's nice to be here. Perfect. Yeah, and uh, yeah, do you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself to the uh, the listeners? Hi, everybody. My name is Victoria Melnikova. I'm the head of new business at Evil Martians. Together with my team, we work with growth stage startups focusing on developer tools. We transform those startups into unicorns. Together, we build developer tools, create awesome open source products, and do that sort of thing. And I, in short, generate opportunities for us. Excellent. Yeah. And this is like <laughs> the opportunity that you generate in like the space that you're in is like, it's literally the in between of a lot of the guests on this podcast. So, talked to a lot of open source maintainers from my background from GitHub, working at Netlify, and now doing open source. And then DevTools, like Heavybit, being the, the, the shepherd, the host, uh, the network of this podcast, like that. Tons of dev tool startups have, have come through Heavybit and have succeeded like very successfully. So, can we first touch on Evil Martians? Because that was something that I've I've heard of Evil Martians and I've seen the work out in the open, but I never actually looked to see oh what is this team? What do they do? So, can you give us a quick little rundown on what Evil Martians does? Yes. So, Evil Martians is a team of about fifty people. We are a software development consultancy. We focus on developer tools. And basically, we do full cycle development, starting from product strategy and design, going into front end and back end development. We also do machine learning and SRE. So we work with 20 to 30 growth stage developer tool startups every year, and we try to boost them in their journeys to success, basically. And what's so special about us is we are a team of senior developers and designers who know the industry really well. Historically, we've been known as a Ruby on Rails development shop, but we go much beyond that. There are two main pillars of our philosophy, which are open source and education. So many of uh, engineers know us because of our strong technical blog. We get about half a million technical readers annually on the Martian Chronicles. Uh, and it's a great resource, not only on Ruby on Rails stuff, but anything that has to do with development and design. So that's us in a nutshell. But perhaps you might know us for some of the open source projects like CSS, browser list, image proxy, any cable. We have more than 100 uh, open source projects that are widely used. Yeah, I didn't know about PostCSS. Um, honestly, I, I've been using PostCSS since like uh, almost the creation. I worked at Netlify. We used PostCSS internally for pretty much everything that touched um, CSS. Uh, it was like a conscious effort of, of moving over to this like way to get latest stage CSS into our into our project. So. Pretty cool to hear about that. And uh, also, 
I guess that's why I've, I've seen Evil Martians a lot because Ruby on Rails. Like I, that was what I got my first step into for programming. So more than likely, that's why I saw Evil Martians my entire career as like a name, but never really looked into it. So, but I, I'm interested in the digging into the commercial open source side, uh, especially like the the overlap, the concentric circle of like Dev Tools, like. Commercial open source. Could you explain that real quick for folks who are um, who are listening as well? So, Evil Martians, as I mentioned, create a lot of open source projects. We have more than hundred projects, and because we work with startups a lot, we try to implement our product expertise and apply that startup mentality to open source. Basically, what we try to do is we try to commercialize projects, and the reason why we do it is because perhaps. Uh, commercializing open source is the most sustainable way to do this business long-term. And let me explain this. Open source is intense. Uh, when you have a project that, let's say it's a painkiller and not a vitamin, so it's something that many people use, it's really important to maintain it over time. And that maintenance takes the soul out of you. <laughs> People who maintain open source projects know that the burnout in the open source industry is very much real. And commercializing it is basically one of the ways to battle that burnout. And what we try to do is when we see that a product or open source uh, project has traction, we try to commercialize it. And there are very feasible steps that you can take to achieve that. So it's been our mission to educate our audience on how to commercialize projects, open source projects, how to do it in a way that that can you bring results fast and how does it perform over time. And one of the examples that I admire a lot is example of Sidekick. People in the Ruby on Rails space know that uh, project very well. Yep. Uh, Mike Perham, the creator of Sidekick, has done it right, basically. He has commercialized Sidekick, I don't know, a decade ago, and he managed to make it a super profitable business that is well-maintained and just growing over time. So this year, he's approaching like $5 million ARR, which is crazy for a one-person show. And it just goes to show that it is possible to do sustainable uh, uh, open source. And one of the ways to achieve that is through commercializing it. Yeah, and I'm familiar with Mike Perham too as well. Uh, I actually met him a couple times during conferences and during GitHub, and uh, it's it's fascinating because uh, I remember when Sidekick was first sort of like put out on the scene. It was like the premier tool to get error tracking inside of Rails apps as well. And fascinating because I I believe he's bootstrapped that as a one person organization did. the entire time. And it's I, I think the, the the challenge that I see because I talked to a lot of founders here out here in the Bay Area and, and through this podcast and. I think the there's like the adoption. Actually, I just had a conversation with Brandon Burns uh, on another podcast of uh, the Secret Sauce, and he w- he was talking about um, uh, specifically early days Kubernetes, uh, co-creator of Kubernetes is Brandon Burns, and uh, he was talking about like how do you see adoption and and interest, and how do you notice if you like you're actually doing a great job? And I think a lot of folks centralize around stars because stars is like the easiest way to show like interest. Mm-hmm. But the thing that they did at Kubernetes was issues was the thing they tracked. So if the issues were up as far as new issues, not open issues, but new issues being opened. It shows there's an interest in the thing you're working on. And then the thing that they they even centralized around was like that conversion to PR. Mm-hmm. So like if PR should have people are invested 
Um, so like you're using this thing and like you see something's wrong, you're invested to go either build a fix or at least attempt at building a fix. And then that they they hyper focus on that conversion of issues to PRs because uh, like some people can well a lot of people actually will open an issue no problem, but very few people will cross the chasm to open the PR, and that becomes like if you're looking for your your early adopters fan groups like that PR contributor becomes like that place that you can centralize on like okay we might have something we can have customer research conversations just from people who interact with just PRs. And it's something that I think a lot of folks just miss because a lot of times you just get stuck in the star world or in the twilights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, like sometimes it's, it's good to talk to people. So, but I imagine with the, the way building sustainable open source, and I, I honestly, I frankly agree, like setting up a proper entity around open source helps drive more adoption and interest. Uh, but also helps you accelerate into like if this thing is going to fall flat, like you're going to find out pretty quickly, and if there's an opportunity to scale this thing and make it useful. Because I think the world that I come from, from now I'm in the front end JavaScript world, things move very fast, and folks, you know, they get they they see a new shiny thing, they want to jump onto that, and so that that becomes like the question of like how do you innovate and keep interest long term. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of things that are specific to commercial open source and developer tools in general, I would say, as an industry. The first one about commercial open source specifically, I guess, is the setup allows you to get very fast feedback loops. You're able to close that feedback loop pretty fast because, you know, you get those PRs, you get those issues, and basically your customers are able to speak with you through their request, through their code, right? So you know what people need. The other thing is open source communities and developer communities in general are pretty vocal, but the downside of it is that they're vocal about negatives more than the positives. Yeah. Because when something is working, you don't tend to go on the internet and just you know scream and shout about how well it works. Sometimes you do, but most of the times you do so when you're unhappy about something, right? So, yeah. so that's a tricky part, but you also get feedback quickly, which is great. So you're able to act on those issues quickly and iterate and update or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the, the fascinating part about like this current state of open source and dev tools, like you see more and more companies choose to go open source first. And I heard that um, actually the conversations around all these LLMs, so like OpenAI is closed source, uh, open source first, now it's closed, perhaps might be opened. I think the rumors they're open source the older versions of the LLM and then Closed source, this stuff they're still working on, uh, but who knows? Like we're we'll, we're still waiting to hear back from from Sam on that. Uh, but then Facebook or Meta just released the the Llama version two, which is open source, which is it, it's it's fascinating. But the the conversation around there and like Hacker News was, if you have a moat, then you're closed source, but if you're catching up, then you open source. And I, I'd be curious, like that last statement, like do you find that true? With the the dev tool space and, and around an open source, oh, I don't know. It's it's questionable. <laughs> I'm not sure if I agree. Yeah, I think that. So to me, open source is something different, right? It's not because you're catching up. That's why you're opening your kind of like drawers, you know, but it's because you're so proud of the quality of code that you're putting out there that you have nothing to hide. You know, you have, you use best practices and you are able, 
you literally have nothing to hide. You're able to show the insides of your product. And you're not afraid that somebody's going to take advantage of that because the reason why you created that product in the first place is because you're ahead in a way, you know? So I really believe in collaboration. And I think that one of the kind of advantages of open source is that together we can move progress forward much faster because it's out in the open and you can with your creativity add something new to it you know so i'm kind of like really inspired by open source and i'm much uh optimistic about it so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see where the where the cards fall for at least for the uh this uh large language model stuff yeah uh, and like the notion of like open source because i think the the reservation for a lot of folks to even choose an open source because this is a conversation that uh, just recently I saw an interview with Zach Holman um, with the crowd.dev folks. Uh, Zach is an early employee at GitHub. And the question that even when I was at GitHub was like, why doesn't GitHub just open source GitHub? And that conversation, it was interesting to see that internally and like a lot of that's like, you know, behind closed doors, private conversation. But like the context there is like, yeah, GitHub would love to open source. But at that point, like they already crossed the chasm of like, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of like nuance in the GitHub issues, which actually that's someone feel free to like comment and tweet at me if I'm wrong on this because I could have got, I could have missed cross wires. But basically, it wasn't about the code, it was about the conversations that led up to the code. Um, so to keep everything above board, like early GitHub had tons of challenges, but like think of all those conversations early GitHub, talking about competitors, talking about the insights and how they build a code base. It was more about, do you want to expose and let everyone in the house to see the historical record of 15 years uh, of contributions? But the on the inverse of that, like you look at a GitLab open from the start, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about anything because when everyone's watching, <laughs> you're you're always in your 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 best behavior for the most part. I bring that up because it, it's open sourcing the code it, is less the interesting part uh, unless you're looking to like give the thing to the community. Execution is a thing that really. That folks see success from. So, like mm-hmm. with the the now we have everything's exposed. We all could see how AI is working. Like now it's about execution. So, how do you great gain adoption? How do you grow community? Because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to touch on that 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 last statement about community and developer tools and the importance of that. So, like, what have you seen from the conversations you're having? Yeah, it's actually really interesting. So, you know, the the term open source was introduced in something like 1998. Like, it's not even that old, right? Yeah. And if you think about it, we're seeing an industry mature right in front of our eyes. Like, we've seen the first projects emerge, like, just a couple of decades ago, you know? And now we're just seeing them reach a certain maturity stage. So I think that there is an interesting time that we live now after the pandemic happened, a lot of people went remote. And so suddenly there was this surge for developer tools and professional tools in general, right? And since we're all at home, we spend all of our time at the screen working on those professional tools. And all the mishaps suddenly became visible, you know? And there was this surge of competition amongst different tools. Everybody's trying to outcompete each other because there is demand. And now we're hit with this market turbulence in the past year, which is affecting how people are raising rounds, etc. So we see those pendulum like switching, you know, right in front of our eyes, right as the industry is maturing. So it's really hard to say what's the actual 
predicament for the industry of developer tools or commercial open source. But what we can say is that right now is a very kind of opportunistic time because it's very cheap to actually start projects and to test your hypothesis. You don't need anything. You just need, you know, to run an open source project or to start like to launch a landing page. You can already get your sales. You need Twitter and maybe like LinkedIn to do it. At the same time, I think it's tough because there is, well, as I mentioned, market turbulence. So it's not clear how easy it's going to be to raise. Perhaps the same project would have raised, you know, crazy amount of money like five or seven years ago. Right now, it's not uh, as feasible, probably. So you can generate a lot of ideas. You can test hypothesis quickly, but how quickly you're going to get to a seed round or an Series A is a very tricky question. But also, <laughs> as we see the market mature, I think that we can see examples like Sidekick where companies were bootstrapped and they work just fine. So I think that there is a lot of opportunity for people to bootstrap, to test hypotheses, and if there is a market fit, then there is an opportunity to raise as well. So I think it's a great time for developer tools <laughs> and commercial open source projects. Yeah, I'd agree too as well, because I think what's what we're seeing right now, even with the, the current state of the market uh, on the commercial side, is like if you're interested in working on this problem and solving it, like, and you can like produce like longevity into approaching this problem. So regardless of market conditions, then like you'll be okay. There was a one, one of my mentors actually had mentioned just like a simple statement on how to like build a really good company, which is one build a really good company, and then to tell people about it. And uh, I think the the second half, when it comes to open source, a lot of times we put things out there and like we expect the things to sort of just like organically grow adoption through just goodwill of people's and interest. Uh, but I think the things that I always push to like when I, for the projects that I, I engage with or, or mentor is like guides, intro, documentation, like simple marketing of how do I use this thing and how can I be successful if I install this this package or this library or Ruby gem like if that is clear then usually adoption can come pretty quickly as long as it's a, it's a, a clear value proposition and I think a lot of times like we uh, I see a lot of trending projects that show up like on a, a reddit or a hacker news or even like this a trending for for github and it usually misses a lot of those marks because it's so new. It wasn't really expected that it would take off. Uh, and I guess luck is luck is uh, for the folks who are prepared. And I think a lot of times, like folks who have a little bit extra preparation, tend to see things go go off and trending to the right. For sure. And there are some things that can help you with kind of like technical projects for in products for engineers. So uh, I do Dev Propulsion Labs. It's my series of uh, roundtables with industry leaders in developer tools space. And what we talk about is how to create successful developer tools companies. And there are some characteristics that are very unique to developer tools. And so far we've covered four one of which is developer relations, building communities around product, basically. Second is technical marketing. And I want to stop here because technical marketing is so important. It's probably the most important thing you can do for your business, for your technical business. And here's why. So uh, basically, engineers, developers, is a tough crowd to sell. They don't buy into 
your average marketing cold emails, etc. No, they need to be inspired. They need to be solving problems. They need to have great tools to do their job. So if you're trying to market your product, the worst thing you can do is to do like just bland marketing campaigns with like cold emails or whatever. The best thing you can do is to write articles about how to use your product, uh, show videos, how people use your product to solve particular problems. Right now, there are like a, a lot of, uh, there is a surge of um, really authentic voice in technical marketing, like Superbase uh, is doing that. They're doing memes that are very much well <laughs> received by the audience. But basically what you're trying to do through technical marketing, technical marketing meaning articles and videos and content that is saturated with value that sheds light on how your product can solve problems, how your product is used, what your product is for, that type of thing. So generating value for your users through content is the best thing you can do. Uh, And if you inspire them, if you show them the path, if you encourage them to try new things, new ideas, show the new horizons to them through your product, then they're going to adopt it. And more than that, they will become champions in their communities. They will talk about it because they're happy to use a great product. So that's that. And the third part about uh, developer tools is developer experience. By developer experience, I mean product design for developer tools. So when we talk about overloaded interfaces, professional tools that people spend you know, hours and hours on, that user experience has to be very well crafted. It has to be empathic. It has to be encouraging. And, you know, product design for developer tools is a very specific kind of like science. So those are the the aspects of writing successful developer tools. And one of the topics that I haven't covered yet, but I believe that it has tremendous importance is documentation. The way your documentation is done the way it's written, the way it's proposed to users is extremely important. So as you mentioned, uh, sometimes engineers don't... Uh, documentation is the only way for them to communicate with the product. So think of it as your kind of like cost savings on support. If your documentation is done right, you don't need to spend <laughs> that much money on support because it's just not needed. Yeah. So self-explanatory, empathic documentation is a must. I hundred percent agree. Yeah, so I would have wanted to sit down to picks, but I wanted to thank you for the the conversation. I imagine, folks, uh, we had a lot of maintainers and, and startup founders uh, and future founders who listen. So, for folks who want to find out more of this information and more of like making this uh, this jump from open source maintainer to startup founder or vice versa, where can they find more information about this? So you can go to evilmartians.com and shoot us a note. Uh, I am the one who processes all the (laughs) inbox emails, so I'll be sure to respond. We're also on Twitter at evilmartians, so you can shoot us a DM there and I'll pick it up. You can also find my my profiles on LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll add it to the show notes, so then uh, that way folks will can go there and have you bet. And um, yeah, check out this podcast. If you're listening to this in your feed, FYI, we've got show notes on Heavybit, so uh, find Jamstack Radio, and you can you can actually see the transcript as well, as long as the, sh- the stuff that's mentioned in the podcast. 
Cool. So let's transition the picks. Uh, these are jam picks, things that we're jamming on, keep us going. Could be music, food, education, tech related, all the above is above board. Uh, and if you don't mind, Victoria, I'll go first. I've got my first pick, which is a blog post from Cassidy Williams. Uh, Cassidy, if we talk about developer experience and developer relations. Cassidy does a great job of building engaging content for audiences, uh, the developer audience. And she wrote a blog post on Dev.2 about open standards. And it was like a reflection post of what's happening with the Google Domains um, thing. Google Domains, if folks didn't realize, was purchased by Squarespace or announced to be purchased by Squarespace. I'm not sure, like, there's no been any sort of follow-up on that. But it's got everyone sort of concerned because Google Domains was like the the premier way for at least startup founders and, and folks who had a URL you wanted to attach to a Google Workspace. It was like very, very... I don't know. The experience of that was just great. Uh, still great today. So it's all up in the air. And the reflection was around Google Reader and how the open standard was RSS. So like because Google Reader left us like 10 years ago, uh, did not mean that RSS disappeared, like including this podcast is built on RSS. So the open standard is RSS. Everyone knows RSS is a thing to do to host your podcast, to, to send your blog through. So the the push the, the the ask or the push for the community is like more open standards, which ironically, like Spotify has a new standard for podcasts, which I don't know if a lot of people know about this, but Spotify stopped doing that. We need the continue the open standard to make it consistent across the across the, the board. So that, that that was one thing. I, I imagine you you have some context around like open standards. Sorry, and then she also linked to open standards versus open source. That ex- explanation to so open source is a little different. Uh, one of the contexts like JSON. JSON's an open standard, uh, and that spec is open sourced. Uh, but the idea is that everyone adheres to sending APIs with JSON. So mine is completely kind of like irrelevant to technology. Uh, I have a personal pick this week. Um, my mom turned 50 this year, and she just turned 50 like two days ago. And unfortunately, I'm not near her to celebrate her birthday, but I just want to shout out my mom because uh, she ran her first triathlon this year. And I think that it's pretty badass (laughs) to do that when you turn 50. She also graduated university this year, so she got her first bachelor's degree. Oh, wow. And she, I mean, she's a professional in the healthcare system. So I just want to encourage kind of women and girls all over the world to think about opportunities, some things that you're afraid to do uh, are not that scary, and there's nothing that's stopping you. So just go ahead and do it. You know, so that's my little pick. Excellent, yeah, appreciate that. And shout out, shout out to mom, and, and moms <laughs> everywhere as well. It's a it's a hard job, and when you find other jobs to do alongside of being a mother, um, it's even like doubly as awesome. So sure. yeah, appreciate uh, sharing that. Uh, I did have one more pick, which is hashtag Hundred Days of Open Source. Uh, at the time this podcast releases, we'll be in the middle of it. But for the next 100 days, uh, we will be encouraging folks to do open source. So if you use that hashtag on social, on Instagram, threads, and also Twitter, go ahead and uh, check out the hashtag and see folks who are doing things in open source. And the idea is like, you don't need to ship code every day, but if you like, read docs, uh, if you build a tool with the project, share it and talk about it uh, for, for 100 days. Uh, so we start that uh, July 24th, which will be way before this podcast releases. But check out the hashtag um, when you hear this podcast. And uh, with that, keep spreading the jam. 
That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.